electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And it was certainly another brutal day for stock investors today. The Dow falling nearly 1,500 points. Economic fears over a slowdown starting to run rampant. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. The Dow falling nearly 6% today. Small caps down again. The benchmark Dow index now down 20% from its February 12th record high. Outside, of course, of that 1987 one-day plunge of nearly 23%, this has been the fastest slide to 20% down over multiple days. Ever. Portfolios everywhere were slammed, but perhaps there maybe is a little bit of good news. Look at this. Bond yields actually rose. The benchmark 10-year going up to 0.87%. Does that mean the bond market may be suggesting the worst of the selling may be over? We're going to find out. Meantime, the banks, despite those yields, battered. Even as the nation's top CEOs wrap their meeting with President Trump at the White House, we'll get more on that in minutes. And perhaps the biggest shock in what was a shocking day is Boeing. Boeing shares down another 18% today. Boeing, really one of the bluest of the blue chips, now has lost half its value in just six months' time. We'll dive into why. Joining us for the next hour to walk you through all of this, Karen, Dan, Tim, and Guy. Welcome, everybody. Another big night, a very difficult night for a lot of people out there, pension funds, state pension funds, companies. And, Guy, I think probably the, the question... To you and everybody else around the panel and a lot of our viewers who may not be market pros tuning in to CNBC for the first time in a couple of, you know, time because of what's going on. Do you sell now if you still own stocks? Do you ride this out? Do you see any kind of a sign of a stock market bottom? Well, you mentioned the bond market turning. I mean, you can interpret that as a good sign. Maybe the bond yields, which probably let us down in the S&P. Maybe the fact that yields seemingly are starting to rise a little bit. Maybe they'll lead the S&P 500 up. But to answer your question, now's really not the time to do a whole lot of anything. If anything, now's the time to try to understand what's been going on in the world for the last six months. So maybe you, know, you can get up, on the, on the, and get up to speed as to the reasons why. Now, a lot of people, correctly, maybe not correctly, will say, obviously, Guy, this is all coronavirus. See, I would say that's not the case. I think the coronavirus was the match that led the tinderbox that this has been sitting on for the last year or so. So try to understand the reasons why. But to try to trade the market here, I don't, even, even the oldest of pros that have been doing this for a long time are having difficulties. I think traders have been trading, varying degrees of success. But if you've watched it so far, try to understand why. Try to see where the companies you own are and try to understand if, you know, if their business is going away, which they probably aren't. Or if this is just another 20% downturn over the years that we've seen maybe three or four times in the last decade or so. So uh, a couple things that I think are worth noting at a time like this in the market, and they're mildly complicated, or I don't want to make them too complicated, but, you know, Guy said, I'm not sure what you do. If you are concerned about your exposure, one of the things that doesn't really work are index shorts at this stage. You get to a place where after an extreme sell-off, index shorts stop working, and you need to find single-stock shorts to match your volatility with actually the, the, the long side of your book. That's just something to, to, to throw out there. When you think about what the market is 
has done. Um, and today we closed below the lows of two days ago. Um, this is a case where I think markets are still trying to find that level. Um, there's no question the velocity of this move is what makes this extraordinary. And, and I go back to this reminds me of that 2011 analog where early first seven or eight days of August, we went down about 9%. Then we chopped around. And then we had these moments where we went down 4%, up 4%, down 4%. And this went on until the markets started to seem. But we still had a growth scare. And at that point, after the oversold markets rallied very hard, mm. you were then confronted with a macro setting that wasn't so great. Yeah, I would just say it's not just the velocity. It's actually the aggregation of all of the moves. When you look at you guys talked about rates. I mean, the 10-year Treasury yield was just under 2% at the start of this year. And what do we get down to 40 bips or something? 31. Like that. Or, or, you know, 31 bips on, on Monday. That was a crash. That was like probably the most shocking thing that has happened this year in risk assets globally. And then you put in, obviously, what happened with crude over the last couple of weeks, crescendoing yesterday, but still going lower. So you put that together, the dollar, obviously that move was pretty significant. That was a crash of financial markets. There's no way to sugarcoat that. But getting back to single names, I, I kind of agree there's going to be some amazing opportunities. Guy mentioned something that, you know, you got to focus on the companies that are going to be around. There will be some companies that are just not investable. Cruise lines are going to be one of them. I just can't you don't imagine. Think so. Not yet. Well, yeah, not ever. Well, 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 it's going to take years. I mean, but think of, this might be we've been talking about the overstored in retail. We've been talking about department stores. Macy's is becoming a very distressed balance sheet. Why would you buy that? This could be the final thing. So I think that you want to focus on things like Disney that, you know, are going to be around. It's down 30 percent in the last couple of months. And you figure out how to start legging into something like that when their parks come back online, their movies are back in, in stores and the consumer is back. I agree with all, actually, with everyone's been saying. I think you got to know what you own. To me, when I try to figure out what do I own, I look at the balance sheet first. What is their debt situation, right? How long can they afford to ride it out? So Google, which I bought some Friday, obviously that was too early. Um, I look at that balance sheet as probably the premier balance sheet in the world right now. Same for Facebook. Um, and then, at, you know, Target in the retail space. They do have debt, but this is not a, a um, it's not a concerning amount of debt at all. So that's important to me. Disney actually has some debt. Yeah. I do love the name. I am waiting for a big down Disney day. Um, but one of the things. This is not down enough. Does anybody around the table believe oh. that what has happened the last couple of weeks with equities is an overreaction? Well, if you look at the bond market, it's not. Um, if you look at credit markets over the last three weeks, really the last 10 days, it's not. Um, if you look at where valuations were before we had the sell-off, it's not. Um, if you look at the prospects for earnings, it's not. Um, if you look for, you know, essentially how overbought we were as a function of central bank goosing monetary policy, you know, it, it's, it's just hard to say. I, I, I don't want to be so perversely negative. I think what we're saying is there's great like Starbucks. Starbucks was bludgeoned today down almost 9 percent because obviously now you're getting to literally the numbers of people that are not going out. They're not getting that morning cup of coffee. They are not going to work. Where do you get your first? You're on your yeah. work. You grab your Starbucks. That's a great company that I want to own. And in fact, somewhere in here, this is again one of those names. Oh, my goodness. I didn't think I'd see it at these levels. It's a reaction. I don't think it's I don't think it's an overreaction. And we've said this for a long time on the show, and, and it plays out over and over again. Markets go down much faster than they go up. And now they go down even faster than they have historically. That's just the way the market's built. So it feels bad. 
But if this were to happen over a three or four month period, would be having the same conversations? No. Now you have to ask yourself, right, what levels make sense in terms of the broader market? And I will tell you that although I don't think we get there, that 2410 level, which we saw in December. Christmas Eve. Exactly. I mean, that is really the level that I think people sort of have a bullseye on. And we've mentioned this for quite some time. The Russell, as measured by the IWM, that never validated the move in the S&P to the upside. Now it's below that 128 level that we talked about forever. That's something you need to continue to watch. So if the Russell were to ever turn with the bond market, maybe that gives you some, assuage some concern. I I hear what you're saying, and I'm a believer in technicals. Been doing this 25 years, I'm a believer. But I do wonder... Technicals are for sort of pros and semi I do wonder if mom and pop at some point just gives up on equities again like they did in 2008. They say, cash out, I'm done, I can't stand the pain. They well, won't care about technical levels, well, I, I don't know. Except for the fact that, you know, the late 2018 destruction, it was 20% in a, in a very short period of time, I guess it was about two months or so. I mean, those are the sorts of levels you got to kind of, if you're looking to put some cash to work and you say to yourself, I'm kind of in no man's land right here, you'd say, okay, maybe we have a crescendo towards that low at 2350 where the market not only stopped going down in December 2018, but launched an epic one-year rally or maybe an 18-month uh, rally or so. i just make one other point, you know, to your question, though, Sully, about whether it's an overreaction. You know, the stock market, the S&P 500, is basically back to January 1st, 2018. That was the year that the tax cut went into effect. That was a one and a half trillion dollar tax cut that was basically money borrowed from the future and just handed to corporates. You know what they did over the next two years? They bought their stock back, about one and a half trillion dollars worth of stock in 2018 and 19. So we're seeing a lot of unwinds here in a way, and it's not too different than we were talking about with rates. You know, everybody wanted lower rates. Everybody wanted lower commodities. Well, when they got them, to Guy's point, um, it wasn't a great thing for risk assets uh, across the board. No, and, and I want to I go back to Boeing. We highlighted that at the top of the program, and nobody, again, is, is, you know, is sort of trying to dump on Boeing. But, Karen, you mentioned, I think, something incredibly important about balance sheets. And here's the thing about Boeing, and there's all this news about the MAX. We know that. There's about order cancellations. We understand that. There's things like pension obligations, that when you do your actuarial tables and you look out at equity gains and you look at interest rates, they destroy those actuarial tables. These are companies with real obligations. And I'm not picking on Boeing again, but it fell 18% today. Mm -hmm. And in the depth of the financial crisis, Boeing had a negative book value of $1.2 billion. Today, Boeing has a negative book value of $8.6 billion. I mean, balance, balance sheets matter. They do matter. I mean, we've heard about Boeing drawing their revolver down, which was smart of them to do, so to get more cash in. I mean, GE, all the companies, they have the same issue. GE's pension obligations on paper just got a lot higher as interest rates Still positive down. balance. I looked at all the top, AT&T, GE, IBM. I did look at all those today with huge fixed defined. And there are, by the way, people, there are still companies with pensions. We need to remember that. They're all still positive book value. I wondered, does it say something about maybe the bottom Boeing? Or is this something more we need to worry about? I don't own Boeing. I'm, I, I think it's, I mean, even having come in this much, I feel like, wow, with what's happened to the airline industry, what's happened, what's happening in the economies around the world, that there's more downside for Boeing. The, the, I mean, at some point it is cheap, but everything's getting cheap. Boeing is cheap relative to where it's been in the last year and a half. 
but everything's getting cheap. Let, let me just throw a, a comment in here. You know, so Boeing, you know, their peak earnings in 2018 were 16 bucks a share, okay? And that basically went, um, you know, down fairly dramatically, you know, at last year. Um, but, you know, next year, right now, they're expected to maybe, this is consensus, and it could be lower. To your point, we just don't know, and there's no visibility. But this is a company, from a cash flow basis, from an order standpoint, that people would say, Tim, you would have said this uh, a year ago, take it to the bank, right? And so here's yep. the thing. you got to start thinking about if a company like Boeing could get back to peak earnings, in the out year, then you can start valuing. Then you could say it's trading about 11 times that, right? And you would say, this is when I would start picking or dipping my toe in the water. That's how you would buy a company like this that's just seen the perfect storm. You know, this stock was above $300 just how long ago? It's down 50% in, in a short period of time. Boeing's going to be around, and those, those orders are going to come back in one way, one way or another. So that's how you have to start thinking about it a little bit. And, you know, you're going to have to take some risks. That's what this whole game is. The, the, the Boeing's, sorry, go, no, ahead. go ahead. Well, the Boeing situation is a combination of, of where we went into this downdraft, but also um, just the reality that they, they went from a free cash flow machine to having quickly levered up. They, look, they wrote down 5 or $6 billion in the fourth quarter. Uh, I have to check that number. It's somewhere around there, and they have to issue, and they will be issuing massive debt uh, this year. Ultimately, when they start generating free cash flow, priority is going to be debt pay down. But their, their, their leverage, their gearing, has changed almost overnight. This went from being a company that was extremely cash flow positive, 25 bucks of free cash flow a share, um, to one that's actually changing the gearing to probably getting close to two and a half times. And that, that's something that the market doesn't like. Yeah, and and they've, they've bought back stocks that that changes book values. But it is it is a number that has been getting some attention out there on Boeing and nobody's picking on the stock. But given that it is still, I think, the highest dollar value stock in the Dow, it does have an outsized impact on the price. On, and I know the Dow is not what we should be looking at as pros, but it is what is making the headlines. And the stock market now, Guy Adami, is dominating the general news. No question about the it. 630 nightly news. And they're leading with the stock market. And the Dow is what the, the, the sort of the American looks at. Understand. I, and I listen, I totally get it. And, and let's quickly, I think this is important. The S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is probably down from the recent all time high to current levels, anywhere from what, 19 and a half to 20.2 percent or thereabouts. So people might be watching this and saying, well, the market's 20 percent cheaper. And the Dow Jones that you just mentioned Okay, it is. But that doesn't mean that stocks are cheaper because the stocks are valued price to earnings. And again, nobody out there and I can't can tell you what earnings are going to be. So I can make an argument. And I've said this a few times that stocks today might be more expensive than they were two and a half or three weeks ago. That's just something you have to get your head around. So what's happening is the market is recalibrating at an extraordinarily fast pace. But I know as painful as that is, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, at some point there'll be buys and at some point you're going to find companies that probably fell more than they should have and generational wealth will be recreated because everybody wishes they bought March 6th. 2009. We don't know if that time is here yet. All right, your next guest says forget growth over value. You should be looking just for safety right now. Let's bring in Savita Subramanian, head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at Bank of America. Savita, uh, good to see you on, a, on another difficult day for the majority of investors and your clients. Is now the time at all to start buying any stocks out there? Oh, yeah. I think from a stock perspective, there are a lot of companies, good companies with maintainable dividend yields that have just been discarded with the bathwater. So one of the things that, that we saw with this sell-off is that this has actually been one of the most uniform sell-offs that we've seen 
um, since the financial crisis. And what I mean by this is that stocks have been less differentiated in this downturn that we've seen over the past several weeks than they have been in prior downturns. So this feels like just de-risking um, institutional and individual investors just shedding exposure to all stocks. And I think those types of environments generally tend to leave you with a great environment for stock picking. I, you know, and I don't know if today's the day that all stocks bottom. Probably not. I mean, this probably gets worse before it gets better. But I think that you know, kind of being selective, looking for stocks. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that in our desk data, in our client flows, we found that individual investors uh, are not necessarily buying ETFs to add exposure, but they are buying stocks. And we saw that last week. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think is interesting and, and to keep in mind is that this is an environment where passive ETF investing might not be the most prudent way to invest. And historically, what we've seen is that after big sell-offs like this, we tend to see investors reduce their ETF exposure, but start buying single stocks. This and is, I think this that's is, what we might be in Savita, I think, I think this is an incredibly important point, as, as usual, that, you, that you're bringing up, and a, and a couple of things to that end. Number one, do you think that's because people let's and I'm not going to let's bring up the XOP and I'm only and I know you're not like an individual oil stock person. I'm only that's mentioning fine. this because the ETF is trading at nine bucks, which is, you know, like if oil was at five dollars a barrel, because clearly some of the members of this this ETF will as equities will not exist in a few years. Right. So that's kind of how investors are starting to think. Right. Don't buy an ETF because. Some of the things that are in that ETF, whatever which one it is, absolutely may, maybe, are going to go away. They're and literally going away. Do you think, it's, do you think it's exacerbating the market moves? Yeah, I, I absolutely think that. I mean, I think that um, the market moves just the last few weeks. Like I said, this has been the most uniform sell-off we've seen in the history of our data. I mean, this is a sell-off that's been driven by just summarily discarding risk assets. So let's think about energy. I mean, what's interesting there is that we've got an environment where, you know, energy, we, we are underweight. And this is a sector where a lot of these companies are about to cut their dividends or have recently cut their dividends. Now, what happens when a company cuts its dividend? It doesn't just bottom and then, you know, come right back up. But what we found is that companies that cut their dividend tend to underperform and they don't find a bottom until about, on average, you know, 10 months after that dividend cut. So there are areas of the market right now that feel, you know, somewhat perilous unless credit spreads stabilize, unless we see the, you know, the, this COVID uh, containment, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen for at least another quarter or two. Um, some of the canaries in the coal mine, like, you know, hotels and, um, mm-hmm. and some of the early, early cycle stocks are still telling us things are getting worse rather than better. So I think the name of the game right now is to be very selective. And here's my recipe for what you want to buy or own in this market. You want to own companies that pay a dividend because income is the scarce resource. We've had Treasury yields test all-time lows. We have, we want, but, but those dividends have to be sacrosanct. So the way to figure this out is you look for low payout ratios. So companies that are not paying out all of their earnings and dividends, and that's energy right now. You look for companies that have stability of earnings. So you look for a consumer staples company rather mm-hmm. than a retailer. And you look for companies that don't have demands on their cash flow from short-term debt becoming due. And I think that's where the triple B minus rated companies, you know, the companies with a lot of short-term debt that is about to be um, 
that is that it's going to be need to be financed or potentially higher spreads. Um, those are the companies that you really want to be mindful of avoiding. So I really think this is a very particular stock pickers market where liquidity yield but safe yield are going to be what matters. Hey, hey Savita, so two names that actually fit a lot of that criteria that you just described are Apple and Microsoft. They yeah. happen to be two of the largest market cap companies here in the U.S. They're down less than the market from the all-time highs, but they're still up significantly year over year. I think Apple's up about 50 percent from, from March of 2019 and Microsoft's up about 35 percent. So when I look at these two names and I look at that relative outperformance, what do you say if you just said to me before that you don't know if the bottom's in and we probably see lower lows? Is yeah. there risk to those names because we, we know that they both pulled their earnings guidance and we're likely to see a downgrade to that? Are those stocks too expensive here and have they outperformed too much? You know what? I think I would stay away from tech for the time being just because of the supply chain disruption and, and some of the more global nature. So we're equal way technology, but where I see better opportunities are in the more domestic areas of the market. So I'm going to bring up a sector that has done very poorly over the last few weeks, which is financials. Financials is a domestic sector, but its payout ratio is incredibly low relative to other sectors with similar yields. It's trading at a low multiple because people think that the yield curve is never going to widen again. But these are sectors, this is a sector where the dividend yield is now higher than the S&P 500. And what's interesting is if you look at active managers out there, 50% of institutional money managed in the U.S. is in an income fund. So 50% of institutional investors are mm. looking for yield and they're looking for safe yield. And I actually think that financials might be the best buy in this downdraft that we've seen of all the sectors. Wow. I mean, these are companies that have reduced their leverage ratio to a sixth of where they were at the peak of the crisis. I'm not saying financials companies are going to grow their earnings like gangbusters over the next cycle, but I do think that if we're in an environment where we're looking for quality, yield, low leverage, safety, this is almost like a regulated utilities sector, but it's trading at half the multiple of regulated utilities. And oh, by the way, maybe you should buy some regulated utilities as well, because at least there you know what you're getting. And the, yeah. um, the valuation of regulated utilities right now does look very attractive relative to other fixed income options. So I think, so, you know, until we see some signs, sorry, <laughs> no, no, to say here, um, but until we see some signs of stabilization in the credit markets, that would be the key market that I watch for a sense of, okay, it's, you know, time to think about bottom fishing or it's time to think about putting a bottom in the markets. Until we see signs of stabilization there, my mantra is safe yield. Safe yield. We could do an hour with this, Savita, and we appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good Thank advice you. there. Maybe look at regulated utilities, financials. And again, you know, Karen, she says, come back to the credit markets. I was looking at a bunch of, bunch of closed-in funds like the DSL, DHY, there's a few that are out there that sort of reflect the credit markets, I know you've been negative on the HYG. Those are really the markets that we should be watching right now. Yeah, I mean, those are those. I don't even think those we've really seen the bulk of the pain that we're going to see yet. I mean, so HYG, we talked about you had asked me yesterday, did it does it trade below NAV, which I think it did uh, today. I think intraday that and the JNK it's, were yeah. right on the edge of below net asset Meaning value. that yeah. investors are selling the ETF, even though theoretically the holdings are worth more than the price they're selling it. The other one today, the LQD got just slapped. That is the hot, that is the investment grade index. Yeah. That got hit worse because Things are going to not be investment grade anymore. They're going to be downgraded. 
And then any investment-grade ETF must sell if something is no longer investment-grade. Again, wonky, but we're looking at, you know, the, the, we've been, if, if, you've been out of the, if you've not been in the market for 12 years, this may be new to you because it's been nothing but upgrades for a decade. What you're saying is investment-grade gets whacked down. That gets whacked down to junk. Junk gets into more junk. And firms that have written abilities to own certain things and not, Tim, they have to dump those worst things. Well, and let's just put this back into a market context, um, because if credit is continuing to deteriorate, to deteriorate or if we don't really have a read on where credit will bottom, um, this is a major issue for equities. And this is, you know, financials are great. I actually agree with Savita. And, and if you look at the chart of the XLF, which is the financials ETF, which isn't a perfect proxy because it's got some insurance in there. It's got some Berkshire in there. But, you know, it's, it, it certainly tracks the sector. And, and if you think about it, it's actually traded, first of all, it's at that December 24, 2018 low. It has gone down 30 percent in 15 days. And it's also all the way back to where it was right after the election of 2016 when banks had the target taken off their back. That's part of the reason why you want financials, at least with this administration. Good stuff. All right. Of course, we've got continuing coverage of today's sell-off and really the sell-off the last couple of weeks, where we've been, where we may be going. Be sure to tune into our special report, Markets in Turmoil, tonight again, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Cannot afford to miss that. All right, we are getting more fallout now from the coronavirus. Julia Borston's in L.A. with what is being canceled now. Julia. Brian, the late-night shows are canceling their live in-studio audiences. That's going to start either this weekend or Monday, depending on when these shows air. We just um, got this slew of announcements all made at the same time in conjunction with each other on guidance from New York City officials, press releases from NBC's Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and Late Night with Seth Meyers, CBS's Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Comedy Central's Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. These networks saying that there was no reason for concern in their studios, no reports of COVID-19 among their staff, but that these measures are being taken um, as a precaution to protect everyone who works on the show and in the studio. Back over to you. Mm. All right, Julie Borston in L.A., thank you for that. All right, so folks, welcome. If you are just joining us here on CNBC, another major sell-off on Wall Street, the Dow falling nearly 1,500 points. With that, financials came down as well. The XLF off more than 5%. The Dow is now down more than 20% from its recent high. All right, well, bank stocks, as we mentioned, a part of that, despite the fact that the nation's top bankers and CEOs all met with President Trump at the White House today. And at the White House is where we find Wilfred Frost with more color on what they talked about today. Wilf. Hey, Brian, yeah, it was a very rare gathering at the White House today with the leaders of all of the nation's biggest banks and private equity companies. An attendance list, therefore, that had a sort of 2008 financial crisis feel about it, though the comments that came from the bank CEOs was decidedly different from 2008 in tone. Let's take a listen. We're very strongly capitalized. We are in great position in terms of liquidity, capital and strength. This is not a financial crisis. And the banks and the financial system are in sound shape and we are here to help. Most of what I'd say would echo what's been said. Uh, The banking system is in good shape. The virus obviously poses unique challenges, both for policymakers and for businesses, large and small, operating across the country. All businesses are very, very focused on their people and taking care of their people. Uh, As part of the banking system, we're looking to help businesses, large, small, individuals, any way we can. That was Goldman Sachs' David Solomon at the end there. We even got some specific lending numbers 
from JP Morgan COO and President Gordon Smith saying that in just the last 40 days they'd extended $26 billion in loans to small businesses. He also gave me a quote about uh, his CEO, Jamie Dimon, who, of course, is recovering from heart surgery. He says he's recovering well. We expect him to be out of hospital soon, and he really appreciates all of the warm wishes he has received. But back to that meeting, uh, Brian, and even if the tone there from the bank CEOs was fairly encouraging, that is what we would have expected coming into this meeting, and there was no specific policy announcement to stem the slide in markets or in the bank stock specifically. Perhaps that comes tonight from the Oval Office at 9 p.m., but it wasn't enough to stop the banks closing down 5 or 6% today. The bank's index down some 38% since the January high. All right, Wilfred Frost at the White House. Wilfred, thank you very much. Dan, Citigroup fell 8.5% today. Yeah, you know, listen, I, I think that you can be cynical and you can look at that meeting and say, what the heck is going on? Or you can say to yourself that, yes, the banks are in a much better place than they were 12 years ago in the throes of the financial crisis. And you'd also say that whatever comes, whatever the president announces tonight and whatever Mnuchin, um, you know, wh whatever the Treasury kind of puts in place to <laughs> kind of, from a fiscal standpoint, to help small businesses, to help businesses that are being constrained right now, it's going to be a private-public partnership that gets it done. That's going to be the thing that I think in still some confidence investors. And once we get some plans on that, that's when maybe we stop seeing this extreme volatility in not just the stock market, but in credit markets, that sort of thing. And going back to what you guys were saying on the 10-year, it is encouraging that it did find a floor. Not too much above zero, but it found a floor. And I think everybody would be pretty happy if that thing just kind of stabilized around 1%, um, especially as we head into the Fed meeting. So again, my view is, is like, bring all the CEOs in there, have them be confident, make commitments about what they can do to help out right now. And let's kind of stem this tide before it becomes a financial crisis. Yeah, trying to listen, trying to find a, this is what Dan Nathan does for you. We're trying to find a little bit of bright spot mm -hmm. with the 10 year yield. So it's good. It is good to find any glimmer there in the markets. All right. We've got more news out of D.C. right now for that. Let's get to Kayla Tausche with the breaking news. Kayla. Well, Brian, I spoke with a few people who are familiar with the conversation that took place in that meeting after the cameras left the room and whether the president gave any more indication about the economic and health measures that he plans to announce tonight. Uh, these people who are familiar with the meeting said that the president described these measures as unprecedented and signaled that he had very difficult decisions to make, but that repeatedly during the course of the conversation, he said the highest risk for the virus here in the U.S. still remains inflows from overseas, specifically from Italy and Europe, and that he wants to specifically find a way to address these inflows. How he plans to do that, he did not make clear to the people in the room today. And what sort of economic fixes were discussed, Brian? Well, the payroll tax is one that the White House officials brought up. I'm told bank CEOs nodded their head, but were not necessarily in agreement that, would, that it would be all that effective. And that one specific fix that was discussed was an unemployment insurance package that would span four to six weeks. That's the time frame that I'm told by these sources was discussed in the room uh, to cover the length of time that people are expected to be out of work for some of these quarantine or self-isolation periods. Whether the White House team took that into consideration, whether that will be part of the package tonight, we don't know, Brian. But that's at least how the conversation played out behind closed doors once the camera left. Oh, big stuff there. Kayla Tausche from D.C., thank you very much. We appreciate that. All right, I want to go around the table and talk about this, guys, because... All of us were in the markets or covering it back in 2008 and 2009, not comparing that directly to this, but we had measures, TALF, TARP, all the acronyms you remember. So, Guy, I'll start with you. Is there a fiscal measure, not a monetary policy, a fiscal measure 
that you think would most stabilize the economy and thus the market? What? No, 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 no. Stabilize the markets. Let's just get that straight. Fair enough. Because it's gotten anything they do is not going to all of a sudden have people running to watch the Nick game or the Ranger game. Or go, that's not going to happen. Okay, so, so they can do whatever they markets, want. Markets then. That's the, that is their main concern. Let's just sort of get that out there because I think that's really what they're concerned about. I do think some fiscal package could absolutely stem the tide in terms of what the market's doing. Without question, is it going to change consumer behavior overnight? Absolutely not. And, and there's nothing they can do. So the difference between 08 and 09 is exactly that. That was obviously a fiscal thing. This is an emotional, consumer-driven, potentially, thing. And I can't tell you what's going to change that. What I will tell you, though, quickly, again... I mean, if a stock went, for example, from $40 to $88 in three days, we'd be like, oh, my God, what a move. That's effectively what's happened in 10-year yields in this country. It's mind-boggling the volatility we've seen, not just the last week, the last few months. The bond market is, in a word, broken. So that, to me, if you know, equities are scary, that, say? to me, why, why is it broken? Is, excuse me? You think there's something, you think that the 10-year yield in the United States going from three and a quarter percent to one and a half percent, back to three percent, one and a half, no, up to two, tells me there's down a ton to 40 basis points, up to 80 basis into the points in a year treasure. and a half. Just a matter of, so you don't think that's well, broken? What he's saying is the mechanism of debt is broken. When you look around the world and you see $15 trillion dollars yielding negative, you know, having a negative yield, that's broken. There's no doubt about it. And you just look at Japan over the last 30 years and they'll tell you the whole story. Um, so what was your question? His question was, what do you want to see? a fiscal package well, I, I, that would be the I'll, smartest I'll be, to target I'll, the market. I'll just be really quick because I think Steve Leisman, and I think he wrote an op-ed on this last week, and I think it was fabulous. I think you just got to throw the book at it. I mean, like, listen, we are already in deficit spending. What was the, you know, I, so just go at it and go at it hard and keep going at it because you said, I remember back in 2008 and every one of those announcements, what happened? It wasn't enough, right? And they sold the market off and it was just time that it took to get kind of to a low. What I'm saying is if you could go to that room, Tim, and advise the president and say, this would be the best fiscal policy to mitigate the market damage. It would be... Look, I, I may be in the minority here, but this is a health crisis. It's not a financial crisis. Uh, part of the reaction that the market's going to respond to is a health response and one that makes sense and one that shows leadership, one that shows authority, one that shows that we're the most sophisticated uh, health care and, 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 you know, medical resource company in the world. That, that's what I want to see. Um, I also don't want to see this as an opportunity to bail out every single person in the world that raises their hand. Because you know what? This isn't a financial crisis. And if you're ahead of, if you're over your skis going into this moment, um, unless you're a strategic industry, um, I, I, do, you know, I think you have to be careful about that. I, I, I think the energy sector is strategically important for our country, and I think we will do what we have to do. There's no, there's no wholesale band-aid on that. Uh, but there's no question that a lot of these companies are very important to what we do. But in terms of a fiscal band-aid, um, you know, this, this to me is not the time to take an opportunity to opportunistically change tax policy in our country for good. Should we tariff okay? imported so, oil? I don't know. Um, I, I, I think the, the, the recessionary forces facing the, the economy right now are things we haven't seen before. But we also know that if we solve this health crisis, we are going to be in a position where consumption is going to come roaring back. Doesn't mean that there won't be businesses that might have been taken out in its wake. Why don't we deal with that at that point? 
I think we need a multi-pronged approach. I think it needs to be sort of on the micro level of, you know, paying for people to have health care, paying for unemployment insurance, um, those kind of things. I think a temporary, with a very focus on temporary payroll tax could help. In addition, an infrastructure type bill, which is obviously a much longer road uh, and a much more difficult thing to do. I think that those things together in conjunction might be helpful. And I think that the president, as, as much trouble as he's had dealing with the Democrats, I think there will be a, a lot of bipartisan... There has uh, to be, right? Yes, I, mean, there, I think there, so. This is not the time. This is absolutely not the time to, for politics. For everybody to retreat into their, their red or blue teams. All right, coming up, we're going to have much more today's and really the recent sell-off as well. How options traders are using options to try to navigate what is going on. Look at those huge swings. Up a thousand, down a thousand, up a thousand, down a thousand. Truly historic times for the markets. And we're back after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. And welcome back to Fast Money, another major sell-off, really an historic one on Wall Street. Coronavirus officially being named a pandemic globally by the WHO. But one group of stocks hit especially hard in the selling. Let's get back now to Julia Borston in L.A. with more on this. Julia. Brian, that's right. Social stocks are suffering more than the broader market on concerns that these platforms will face their first ever downturn in advertising. Moody's writing in a note out today that more than two thirds of ad spending comes from categories or sectors that are now at risk. Snap shares fell about 10 percent today, nearly 21 percent over the past five trading days. It's also suffering from the news out yesterday that NBC Universal sold its stake in the company. Twitter shares are down at nearly 9% today, more than giving up its gains from earlier in the week after it struck a deal with activist investor Elliott Management, one that keeps CEO Jack Dorsey in place. Today's declines also reflect concerns about the ad market, particularly in Japan, which is Twitter's second biggest market in terms of revenue. Pinterest shares at an all-time low today, off nearly 8% on concerns about coronavirus's impact on the brands and retailers who invest in building a following on Pinterest. Now, Facebook is actually suffering the least of the group today. Its shares were down nearly 5%. Now, Moody's does say in its note today that coronavirus's impact will be brief and would normalize after the threat passes. Brian, back over to you. All right, Julie. Julie, thank you very much. All right, so let's talk, because to me, those moves in Twitter and Facebook are bizarre. They're weird. You know why? Because when all of our kids are going to be stuck home from school, you know what they're doing? 
They're going to be on social media, Snapchat, Mom's yeah. on Facebook, we're all on Twitter. People are looking for news updates. Do these but, moves make sense? Let me just, let me just I think a Snap and um, versus a Facebook, the Snap valuation is crazy, right? If you're talking about a market where the you know, where earnings are really important, Right. Uh, to me, but won't their audience go up because everyone's sitting at home? But, but you're missing the point. The point isn't about the audience. The point is about what companies are spending on digital advertising. That's the point. So if companies now are having less sales, yeah. then they're going to cut back on the but thing. But if their that audience they, goes up, they'll have more. But maybe, Sully. But in the meantime, I mean, li- listen, no, advertising is one of the most cyclical things that exist in our entire economy. OK, what? so we just haven't seen these companies haven't seen a recession yet. The only one who's ever seen it was Google because they were around during the last recession. Right. The other ones haven't. So we just don't know yet. And I actually think it makes sense to be a bit prudent, especially if a lot of these companies have to do paid sick leave and all this sort of stuff. You know, the, the, the sort of pressures that they may have to kind of stick it out here. You may have to reduce some advertising. No, I think that's I think that's fair. Again, you know, the, the viewership is not really it's ultimately what drives ad rates and what pays the bills, except for the fact that um, the dynamic of the economy and what companies ultimately are willing to spend for that consumer or can spend for that consumer right now is part of the assessment that the market is making in these stocks today. Again, remember, Facebook's arguably um, one of the biggest advertising and media companies in the world. Uh, and, and they, you know, for reasons related to uh, our concerns about privacy and, you know, the things that the company's been embroiled in the middle of have not affected advertisers. There's been no fall off at all. Um, in fact, they've, they've held in very steady. This would be a challenge ultimately to the consumer and, and to more of a recessionary outlook, which is not something I'm saying is happening tomorrow. It's something I'm saying is part of what prices in on a daily. Like and, and I think Dan brings up a good point. And if I don't know if we have the longest term chart, I'm going to call an audible here. The Omaha. longest term, the longest term chart we have for Google, which I understand is split in shares and stuff. But, Dan, I was just looking now. It fell 60 percent from 2008 to the bottom in 2009. Yeah. And and at the time, they were getting the lion's share of digital advertising. They were getting all the growth there. But I I mean, listen, you know, my point's my point. Get in there. What's your point? Well, my kidding. point is, no. point was get in there because that was get in there, guy. I totally get this. I'm kidding. So Twitter to me, fascinating Wall Street Journal article. I mean, Elliot, man, obviously Elliot's going after Twitter. The stay of execution, they called it for Jack Dorsey. If you want to level, not that it matters really, but that 29 and a half levels held a number of times. We're right there again. I mean, the moves in Twitter have been astounding with a lot of stocks. But I do think if you're asking for a name that can sort of survive this and maybe actually thrive, I think Twitter could be one of those names. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Coming up. Are you looking for more safe haven stocks in this market sell off? Well, Cowan believes they've got five names. They're advising their clients to take a chance. Bet on these five stocks. We're going to name them and debate them coming up. But of course, tonight, you can't afford to miss it. Our special markets in turmoil, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're back right after this. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. We've got a news alert on Amazon. The company could start delivering coronavirus test kits to certain customers. CNBC.com's Chrissy Farr just broke the story on our website, and she joins us now. Chrissy, good to see you. What do we know? Yeah, I mean, so a lot's happening right now with, with Amazon. They're thinking, what can we do, uh, given that the coronavirus has just become a pandemic? And one idea they've had that they've talked about with the Gates Foundation and a number of other hospitals in their local Seattle is, can we deliver these testing kits to the home? And that way people don't need to potentially come in to see a doctor in person. That's less exposure. And it also means they don't have to deliver these kits in the mail. So Amazon's thrown up their hand and they basically said, well, do it for free. We will use our drivers and they'll, they'll come to the home starting potentially even as soon as tomorrow. This is a big deal, Chrissy. I was actually chatting with a friend of mine who's an ER doctor a couple days ago. He said, you know what? I got people that have, you know, real, you know, they get car wreck or they have a gunshot and somebody comes in with a fever and I've got to put on my hazmat suit, take their temperature, take the suit off. They're fine. I send them home anyway. I've got real triage and trauma to deal with. He's like, I'm eating an hour or two a day of my time because people are so paranoid, they're rushing in with a small fever. This, I would imagine, is a big step toward alleviating some of the burden that our doctors and our nurses are starting to feel out there. Hospitals are just overwhelmed. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, you're seeing in some countries, some hospitals even call back doctors from retirement. It's getting to that place. I've been talking to hospitals who are saying they're running low on surgical masks. People are just outright stealing them. It's crazy. Even hand sanitizer. So anything that these big tech companies can do with all the resources that they have to hand, I think is a really positive step. And Amazon has said, you know, we, we want to help with misinformation. We want to help with price gouging on our marketplace. But to them, now see them going this next step further and saying, let's um, let's do what we can, yeah. because in Seattle, it's a it's a hotspot already for the coronavirus and physicians are overwhelmed. And so they want to do their part. And even if it's just logistics and delivery, it's still something, I think. It is something, certainly anything we can do to reduce that burden on doctors. Thank you very much, Chrissy Farr. You can read more of Chrissy's reporting on CBC.com, of course. All right. If you're just joining us and again, just another big sell off on Wall Street, the Dow down almost 1,500 points, now to more than 20% from its all-time highs. You're going to hear a lot about bear markets in that. But in this kind of a market, that term really doesn't matter. Whether we're down 20.01% or 19.9, probably irrelevant. But if you are looking for some opportunity in the sell-off, Cowan thinks they've got five retail names that you might want to consider. The firm naming these stocks, Ulta Beauty, ELF, Target, Walmart, and Costco as their best ideas in this pullback for the longer term. Karen, agree, disagree, any of those names? Well, I'm long Target. Uh, I think it's... So agree. So agree. <laughs> and Target and Walmart are, are similar bets. Uh, Target is less expensive than Walmart. Um, Costco, I mean, uh, you know, we talk a lot about not wanting, not wanting to buy a company just because they're getting a huge rush of business because of the coronavirus, but Costco is such an outstanding operator anyway. Um, but I feel like I've, I've sort of missed that one. Ulta, I probably would wait. Probably anybody else? Yeah. Ulta, yeah, that epic blow up in the fall. I mean, I think it cratered down to 225. There's no reason to believe it can't happen again. If you're looking for an entry point in Ulta, I think that's about $30 from here. That's at 12%. I think that's your entry level. All right, coming up, 
Are you looking for other, maybe macro protection against all this wild market volatility, up 1,000 one day, down 1,500 the next? We're going to dive into the options market and set you up with a trade that just does exactly that. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Another day of mayhem rocking Wall Street and your stock investments. The Dow dropping more than 1,400 points. It's second biggest point loss ever. Again, just out of the top 10, I believe, in percentages, but a huge point loss nonetheless. Now, the volatility index, the VIX, surging past 50 today. And if you find yourself sort of paralyzed by these wild swings, there may be an option strategy out there that you could take advantage of. My co has ways to use options to navigate some of this Truly incredible turbulence, Mike. Yeah, so I think one of the things that we can use options for is to get a sense of what the market is betting on. We've seen what has happened, but options are really bets on what is going to happen. So we can actually look at options prices as well as individual options flows to get a sense, essentially, the wisdom of crowds. What is it telling us about what the next 30, 60, or 90 days might look like? Now, I don't need to tell you that the volume in the options market has been extraordinary. Right here, we have a chart of the put volume in SPY going back for about a year here. And we can see that prior to the coronavirus basically emerging in December, the average volume for puts and spy was about one and a half million contracts a day. It's actually been closer to three and a quarter million contracts more recently. So we've seen a material uptick in volume. We've also seen a material increase in the price of options. If we take a look at the straddle, for example, going out to June, that was nearly $50 in SPY. And what that basically is telling us is that the implied market move is going to be something in the neighborhood of 17% over the course of the next three months or so when these options are set to expire. But there are other things options can tell us, too. We can see whether there's more of a downside being bet on versus an upside. And actually, that's what we're also taking a look at. So if you said to yourself, well, what are the chances that we're going to recover back to our prior highs? Right now, the options market is saying there's maybe a 5% chance or lower that we get back to those February highs by June. On the other hand, the chances that we decline by about 17% and end up there as of June, that's about 20%. So what you can see is that there's basically a four times greater chance of that downside move than the upside move as far as the options market is concerned. Now, one quick point I would make about this is that options, because they provide insurance, people tend to buy that downside protection, and they have been doing so quite vigorously. But, you know, what we are seeing is that maybe a little bit more volatile times ahead. Mike Coe out in San Francisco with a very timely and important Options trade. All right, for more options action, of course, always tune in the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, there are final trades in this time of market turmoil, and we've got them for you next on Fast Money. All right, let's go around the horn and kick off your final trades on a difficult day. Tim? Savita talked about health care. High-grade health care. UNH, certainly earnings, mid-teens. Stay there. Karen? Yeah, I'd much rather buy on a day when the market's down. I don't know if that happened tomorrow, but I'm going to start in Starbucks literally like one-tenth of what would be a full position just to get started. Dan? Similar high-quality name, Disney. We talked about it before. The next announcement there is they're probably going to close their U.S. parks. Stock probably breaks 100. Between 190, I think you start picking at it. And guy. It was a heated show. I like that. It's good energy, Brian. And at 1.55 times price to tangible book, J.P. Morgan's at levels we haven't seen in a long time. JPM. 
JPM. Word. All right, some good ideas there on what was a difficult day with the Dow down nearly 1,500. We'll see you tomorrow night. Mad Money and Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.